going to introduce someone whose family to us. I was going to preach, but my, my vocal cords are rather uh, pressed. And uh, rarely do I give up my opportunity to preach because I just so enjoy it. But I really felt like the Lord said, you just need to rest and relax. And simultaneously, pretty much, um, my dear brother Barry said, I, I really got a word. Barry and Jan Haggerty are some of the finest people I know. And they pastored numerous churches in the lower 48, as well as here in Alaska. And uh, just about 20 years here in the state, serving God, loving Jesus, got a passion for the lost and for orphans. And, and thank you for helping me. Thank you for coming and bringing the word to us tonight. Put your hands together for me. Stand with me, if you would, please, for the reading of God's Word. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 5. Now, Romans is a fantastic book of the Bible, just like all the other ones. <laughs> and it's not too long. We're going to read the entire chapter together. I'm reading from the New International Version, I believe. I've got a couple of different uh, versions, and this one is the Life in the Spirit Study Bible. Yes, this is the New International Version. Romans chapter 5. We'll read the entire chapter, and then I'll share what I feel like the Lord's laid on my heart. Of course, this is Paul writing to the church in Rome, and he says there, here in chapter 5, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Hallelujah. <laughs> While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Verse 12, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought con condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. 
For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Verse 18. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man (laughs) the many were made righteous. Verse 20, the law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace does much more abound, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this opportunity tonight. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you take your living word and you cause it to be applied to our lives. Lord, we are hungry for truth. We are hungry for you. We are hungry for more of you. Lord, we want you to rule and reign in our lives more and more. Increase, Lord, in our lives, even tonight as we spend time in your word. Bless your people, Lord, in your great name. Amen. The title of my message tonight is, God Has Much More. God has much more. I'm thankful tonight for the opportunity to stand before you. I'm thankful tonight, first to my Lord and Savior Jesus, for what he's done for us. That chapter we just read is talking about Jesus. The focus of that chapter is Jesus. The focus of that chapter is it doesn't matter what's going on. Jesus is much more than any circumstance you and I can face. And I'm so thankful for Jesus tonight. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit and his amazing ability to empower us to face and to handle any circumstance and situation that comes our way. Now understand, that power has been made available to you and I if we are believers. That power is made available to you and I tonight. It isn't his fault if we don't take advantage of that empowering. It isn't his fault if we don't hook up to the power that the Holy Spirit wants to bring in your life and my life so that we can overcome. Oh, woe is me. I can't seem to overcome. Well, are you hooked into the power? Are you allowing the power of the Holy Spirit? This same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead will raise you and I, will quicken us to new life. Are we allowing that to happen? I'm thankful, Holy Spirit, for you tonight. I want to take a moment to thank Pastor Daniel and Pastor Karen for their wonderful friendship to Jan and I. Church, let me tell you, if you don't pray for your pastors, you should. If you don't love on your pastors, you should. Well, I don't really know them that well. Well, pray for them. Call their name out before God. Tell them you love them. Walk by them and say, hey, pastors, I love you. Because I got to tell you, church, they carry an amazing burden and responsibility for this house. And they are great friends to Jan and I, and we're so thankful for that. To my amazing wife, Jan, 32 years of marriage and counting, awesome mom of six, grandmom of three, two of which are here with us uh, visiting, full-time night shift labor and delivery nurse, ordained minister of the gospel, prophetess and intercessor. She does it all with great love and great appreciation to Jesus for what he has done in her life. And can I got to tell you, church, she is the much better half of this combination. She makes me look good. She keeps me out of trouble when, like I said, it's not the Holy Spirit's fault. If we don't listen to him and we don't follow him and we don't allow him to do things in our life, it's not her fault. If I'm, I I call it the spirit of stupid. If I got the spirit of stupid and don't take the godly advice that my wife is wanting to, to give me. And I'm thankful to God. 
I am so thankful to Abba, Father. I'm so thankful for what he's done, for his incredible purpose and plan that brought about your salvation and my salvation, that I can stand before you tonight not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. I can stand before you tonight and declare boldly and with confidence that Christianity works, that what God has set in motion, his plan, his purpose is the only thing that will last. It's the only thing that will work, and I'm so thankful, Abba. I'm so thankful, Abba. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for your purpose, Lord. Thank you for your destiny, for my life, for my family, for this house. Thank you, Lord. You know, sometimes I think we don't thank God enough. Oh, he knows. Yeah, sometimes we need to say thank you. Now, some people struggle with God's plan. Some find it difficult to understand God's plan. Some find it to be something so far out there that it seems so unattainable. And and don't get me wrong, sometimes I wrestle a little bit with, God, this is part of your plan? But if you and I if, I, could, if I could give you something tonight before I jump right into Romans, if I could give you tonight two things that we always can remember, if we'll always remember them, it'll help us understand God's plan better. If I can give you those two things, number one, God is good. Yeah. You got to establish that in your life. Uh, we've been talking about our building. Praise God for that testimony this morning, Pastor. Yeah. It's out at out the, the, the prayer site at the building. <laughs> Saturday morning for prayer. Praise God for what go, is going on there and praise God for what he's going to do there. But we talk about the building. That building is going to have to have the right foundation in the physical. Amen. And depending upon the soil, depending upon the terrain, you know, things can shake around here a little bit. You were talking this morning about twisters in the plains and tsunamis uh, if you're in Florida or Hawaii or, or hurricanes and that type of thing. Well, we have earthquakes. Yeah. And you got to have the right foundation. Yeah. And sometimes you got to set some things deep down as and established that cannot be shaken. And I want to tell you tonight, one of the things you need to set deep as a pillar of foundation in your life is that God is good. He is good. If you and I can get that deep down in our spirit, then even when his plan seems a little out there, we're not sure what he's doing, we can rest on that one foundation that he is good. And the second one I want to give you tonight is he has much more for you and I than we can imagine. He is a good God who wants to give us much more than you and I can imagine. Now, some people don't want very much from God. Some people don't want a whole lot from God. Some people, you know, they, they hear the gospel message, and they, get, they repent of their sins, and it's, it's godly repentance, godly sorrow, and they're saved, and their sins are forgiven, and they get saved. And then this is what they do. They just sit. I'm saved. That's good enough. When I leave this world, I'll go to heaven because I'm saved. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm saved. And they sit, and they don't want anything else from God. They don't want to experience anything else from God. They don't want to jump into the God's Word and read and find out and glean and understand more and more about the heart of God. When God is standing there saying, yes, I saved you, but there is so much more I want to do in your life. I saved you, but there is so much more I want to give you. I want to give you power to be victorious over sin and temptation. I want to give you power to be victorious over the attacks of the enemy. I've given you a shield of faith and a helmet of salvation. You know, some people live their Christian life as spiritual streakers. 
They just have the helmet of salvation on. They haven't taken up the breastplate of righteousness. They haven't girded their loins with the belt of truth. They, they aren't wearing the, the, the shoes of the gospel of peace. They're not lifting up a shield of faith. Oh, they're saved, and they're miserable in their entire saved life because all they do is sit because they don't want anything more from God. But can I tell you, God is good, and he has more for you and I than we can imagine or think. Amen? Amen. So remember those two things. I want to encourage you tonight in case you didn't know. God has so much more, and he's a, he's a good God. In Genesis, when God started it all, and no, we're not going to go through every book. In, in Genesis, when God started it all, everything he created in six days, he declared to be good. You know why? Because it was a reflection of his heart. It was a reflection of his goodness. It was a reflection of his character. He's a good God, and he can't do anything that's not good. He does not have, he does not have the capacity to lie, to do evil. There's a lot of attributes you can study about God. This past year, as I was teaching at Wasilla Lake Christian School, and I was teaching ninth and 10th grade Bible, we were teaching, I was teaching them on the attributes of God. And there's a whole list of them. But I told them, I said, one of the most important attributes, in fact, in my opinion, and this is my opinion, it's not doctrine, it's just my opinion. Everybody got that? It's my opinion. The most important attribute, the base attribute, what's got to be the foundational attribute of God is his holiness. Because can I tell you, God would be scary being an all-powerful God who had the capacity to not do right and not be holy. He would be scary to be an all-knowing God if he wasn't holy. He would be scary to be a God present everywhere if he wasn't holy. So when God in Genesis created everything in six days, he said it is good. He declared it's good because he's good. And he told Adam and Eve in Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. That was and still is God's plan. It hasn't changed. It's been delayed by sin. It's been delayed by disobedience. It's been delayed by lack of caring. It's been delayed. But God's plan for his people is the same as it's always been. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and take dominion over it. Rule over it for the kingdom of God. Advance the kingdom of God. I say it's time we continue the work. I say it's time we continue the plan, that we keep going. The plan of God is still the same, and he longs to give us not only what we need to carry out that plan, but much more than just what we need. I believe this is a concept that the Apostle Paul understood because he said things like this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or think. Paul didn't just say to him who's able to do more. He said to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. Paul began to understand this concept that God is good and what he has for us is more than you and I can imagine. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Can I tell you, church, he's not just talking about the preparation of heaven. He's talking about the preparation of the plan that God wants to unfold in your life and in my life right here and right now in this world as we walk with him. He said in Romans chapter 8 that we are, nay, we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. And here tonight in the text that I read, the letter to the church in Rome, Paul uses a term five times, and that term is much more. 
I think Paul's trying to tell us something. You know, there's more. Would you like some, would you like seconds? Would you like more? Yes, I'd like more. Would you like more money? Yes, yes, hallelujah, I'd like more money. Would you like more time in your day? Yes, well, we all have 24 hours. Nobody gets 25. We gotta learn to be wise stewards with what God has given us because he's given us all the same. So there's, we understand the concept of more. I'd like, I'd like more fish in my freezer. In fact, let me, let me just, they call it rabbit trail. I'm going to rabbit trail just, just a minute here. My wife's shaking her head. Trust me, hon. We say we want a lot of stuff. One of the things we might say is, because we understand the Bible says, be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. We understand that holiness is a requirement. But do you understand we can sit back and say, God, I want to be holy. Lord, your word says I need to be holy. Lord, I want to be more holy today than I was yesterday. But if we don't do our part, if we don't do what's required of us, it's not going to happen. Now, I grew up in the South. I I, I was born in Georgia, Savannah, Georgia. At age five, I I moved to Memphis, Tennessee. So I grew up in in Memphis, Tennessee and and West Tennessee, South Haven, Mississippi, that area. I lived in several different houses. But as a kid, uh, when my stepfather bought some land, he bought six acres of land and he put about three acres of it to be a garden. That's a big garden. And as a teenager, guess what my job was? If I wanted to go anywhere, man, I had to go pick two rows of purple whole peas. Well, two rows of purple whole peas ain't bad if it's from that wall to that wall. But if it's three acres and the rows are three acres long, that's a lot of purple whole peas. But I had to pick the purple whole peas or I had to cut the ochre or I had to chuck, you pull the corn, ears of corn, whatever it was. That's how I grew up understanding. You want something, you got to work for it. But you know what? Before we had the crop that we picked, we had to do some things. We had to plow. We had to till up the ground. We had to set, if we wanted, if we wanted to grow, you know, peanuts or a plant that grow in the ground. If you want peanuts, you got to make the mounds. If you want, if you want to have a cantaloupe, you got to make the mounds where to plant the seeds. You got to do some stuff. You can't just sit back in your house and say, "Man, I got a three-acre garden out there, and I want the best crop of purple whole peas. I want the best best crop of sweet potatoes. I want the best crop of this. I want the best crop of that." So God, go ahead and do it. Because you know what? Come come planting time and harvest time, you're still gonna be sitting there with your arms crossed, saying, "God, I want you to do it." We got to get out there and do it. We got to do our part. Now, here's the part we can't do. We can't make the sun come up. God does. We can't make the rainfall. God does. We can't make the seed. We can plant it in the ground, but God's got to be the one that causes that seed to die, to germinate, to the begin grow that product, that that fruit that we are want are wanting. And the same thing's true for us. We know God has a plan. We say we want more of God. We want more fish. If we want more fish, you got to get out there and fish. And if you don't know how to fish, you got to learn how to fish. Because you can get out there and do all kinds of stuff, and the fish ain't going to jump in. They're not going to jump on your hook, especially not salmon. My point is this. God is good, and he's got more for you and I than we can ever imagine. But we got to be willing to do our part, and that includes diving into the Word of God and examining it and seeing what's going on. And Paul is trying to tell us here, listen, there's much more that God has for you. He's writing to a group of believers here in Rome, and he gives them five things where he says much more five times. I believe as we look at these five much mores, the Holy Spirit will encourage and strengthen us tonight to go for the much more of God, to not settle for whatever may just come my way, to not settle for just being saved. Man, I got my, I got my helmet of salvation, and that's good enough. Listen, I want it all. 
I want it all. Capital A, capital L, capital L. I want all of the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life. I want all of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus that can be applied to my life. I want all of the healing. I want all of the provision. I want all. I want, I want God to be able to, the Holy Spirit to be able to go, turn left at the next street, go to the third house, ring the doorbell, and when the person answers the door, lay hands on them, I'm going to heal them of cancer. That's what I want. But there's a big difference between wanting it and seeing it happen, and it depends on us. God's already made it available. Hallelujah. He's already made it available. God has already made that available to you and I. The Holy Spirit and His power and His gifting and His gifts that He wants to give and what He does in the body in the life of believers. It didn't end when the last apostle died. God continues to reveal His heart. God continues to work. God continues to look for a group of people that He can work with that'll say, God, I want them much more. I'm not going to settle. I'm not just going to sit back and coast into heaven. Now, praise God if you go to heaven. Praise God. But we miss so much if we just sit back and say, I'm saved, and that's good enough. Paul's saying there's much more. And you know what? I believe I'm looking at a group of people tonight because you're out on Sunday night. I believe I'm looking at a group of people tonight that are blood-bought, that are blood-washed, that are sanctified, that are hungry for God, that desire the holiness of God, that desire the righteousness of God, that desire God to do more in their lives, that are tired of just, of just barely getting by. Listen, you and I are not intended to survive. We were created to thrive. We were created to thrive in His presence. We were created to be in His presence. And I believe I'm looking at a group of people that are hungry for that tonight. So let's see real quick what these five much mores are all about. And don't forget, Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it much more, more abundantly. More abundantly. Listen, if you're missing the abundant life, if you don't feel like you're walking in the abundant life, can I tell you it's not God's fault? It's not God's fault if you don't feel like you're in the abundant life. There is a real devil whose job is to steal, kill, and destroy. But man, there is a Jesus, a Savior, a Messiah, and the Holy Spirit that's made himself available to us that can cause us to move into and walk and live in the abundant life. Now, the first two much mores that Paul talks about, to me, they go together. And to me, they describe, if you're taking notes, the much more salvation that was made available to us. Verse 8 through 11, I'll read again. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? You know, there's some people that, again, they, they do that illustration I did. They get saved and they sit down and they don't ever do anything and they never seek God and they never go after God and they just let whatever happens and they get beat up all the time by the enemy and, and they get tormented in their mind because they won't pull every thought, take every thought captive and pull it down and, and they won't read the word and allow their, their mind to be washed by the word of God. And so they think God doesn't love them. Oh, he's, I'm saved, but God doesn't love me. I'm exp I'm, I, what I'm going through it must be God's wrath. Paul's saying, listen, because we've been saved, because of what Jesus did, how much more will we be saved from the wrath of God? Not just the end time wrath. I will tell you, I don't do it enough. But we, you should pray over your things. You should pray over your pets. You should pray over your car, your washing machine, your hot water heater, your microwave, your DVD player. Unless it's playing stuff it doesn't need to, then, then, then we got a problem. 
But you should pray over your stuff and say, God, you promised me much more. So I'm believing that I don't need to buy a three-year warranty replacement plan. I'm going to tap into the Holy Spirit plan, and you're going to take care of my stuff. You're going to take care of all my things. And when it breaks down, you're going to give me grace to walk through how, as you bring the provision to make it right and correct it. Paul's telling us, listen, you don't need if because because we've been because we've been justified while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve that. But because he did it anyway, we deserved hell. See, some people don't like to talk about that. Some people don't like to hear that. Listen, there is nothing. Paul, Paul in another another passage says, there is none righteous, no, not one. We've all turned away. We all deserve death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. But Paul says, but listen, if Jesus did what he did, dying for us while we were still sinners, if he did that, how much more is he not only going to say, you're saved, but now you're not only saved to where you're going to go to heaven, you're saved from the wrath. You're saved from when God judges. You're saved from all the stuff that's going to happen, just like Pastor was saying this morning. When Israel lived in Goshen and all those ten plagues came upon the nation of Egypt, guess where it didn't go? It didn't touch Goshen. Paul's saying that's much more than what we can imagine. Because some of us, man, some of us, we, I've, I've made this statement myself. If all he ever did for me was die on the cross, he's done enough. And you know what? That's true. But guess what? He's got so much more than just that that he wants to give to you and he wants to give to me. And the second much more that these two go together about much more salvation. Verse 10, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to meddle for metal's sake, but understand this. Sometimes we Christians do more to damage the cause of Christ and the advancements of God's kingdom than those that don't claim to know him do. We can be mean sometimes, especially if we don't like somebody. And Paul said here, look, if we were God's enemies and he reconciled us, not, not we weren't God's friends, we were God's enemies. And he reconciled us through his son, Jesus, through his death, Jesus' death on the cross. If that's happened, how much more will we be saved through his life? If his death caused us, his enemies, to be no longer enemies, then his life is going to give us so much more. Amen? Amen. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let me, let me give you this. Galatians 2.20 says... For I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, because of what Jesus did, we've been reconciled, and we will be saved. How much more will we be reconciled and saved and experience salvation through his life that he lives through us? Because we allow ourselves to be crucified, and we follow hard after him. The third much more, I call it much more provision, verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Why do you call it the much more provision? Because it talk, Paul talks about a gift. Paul talks about a gift. Gifts, provision, providing for us. We all like to receive gifts. Birthday gifts, Christmas gifts, 
just because gifts, Father's Day gifts, just because I love you gifts. We all like to get gifts because then somebody's given us, they want to bless us with something. The Bible says that, that and, and Peter, Peter says this, Peter says that in him, God, you, we, in him we have everything for life and godliness. Everything we have need of is found in him for life and for godliness. Paul is saying, listen, the gift of God is greater than the trespass. And if the trespass brought the, the, the sin to many, then the gift that God's going to give is going to bring salvation and blessing and provision and everything that we need to, to, to the many because of what Jesus did. Remember, it's about Jesus. And Paul's saying, he's got much more for you. There was and is a sin problem in this fallen world. And it wasn't God's fault or God's problem. Paul here tells us that it's man's fault and man's problem. Adam sinned and disobeyed, and a result of that sin entered into God's perfect paradise. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, Adam, but a great, as great a problem and big deal, as big a deal that issue is, how much more greater is what Jesus did by the death of himself, the one offered on the cross for you and I? I believe the Holy Spirit tonight wants some that might be struggling to understand this. Sin came about because of one man, Adam. And as a result of that sin, death, separation from God forever. And there isn't anything that any of us, mankind, could do or can do about that. There's not any solution on our own we could come up with that could solve that separation and sin problem. But God can solve the problem. And he did solve the problem. Jesus died so that we don't have to be separated from him for eternity. And that's a mind-blowing thought. I love the descriptive words Paul uses. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we were enemies, we've been made reconciled. Because of what one person did that brought sin to everybody, what one man did, Jesus, has now brought salvation and made it available to everybody. But not only do we, as former enemies now having been reconciled get because of what Jesus did the opportunity to overcome death and to overcome the eternal separation from God but as number four tells us and I call it the much more life we get to reign much more through his life for if the trespass of the one man verse 17 death reigned that through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, verse 18, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man were many that will be made righteous. We will reign in life. We will reign in his life. His life will reign in us if we will give him the opportunity, if we will be willing to go after the much more. Like Pastor preached this morning, we were created to dwell with God. We were created to dwell in his presence, to dwell in his blessing, to dwell in his abundance. And it's all much more than we can imagine. But let's believe it and dare to go after the much more, church. That's the encouragement tonight. God, Paul is telling us, look what God has made available. It's much more than you could ask or think. It's much more than you can imagine. Be willing to go after it. Be willing to not settle and go after the much more. As I said, we weren't made to just survive. 
Jesus didn't do all that he did for us for us to just barely get by. In truth, church, if he took care of eternity for us, how much more will he take care of all the stuff that comes against us, all the stuff that we face here and now? Mark chapter 4 tells the story. Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. He falls asleep. They're sailing on the water. The storm comes up. The winds are howling. The waves are coming in the boat. They're taking on water. They're starting to bail. They're wondering where Jesus is. It looks bad. Now, these are fishermen, a lot of them. They've been through a lot of storms, but they get real worried. They get real scared. In fact, they go and wake up Jesus and say, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? We laugh at the disciples. We say, foolish disciples. Some of us even have take on the, the wrong attitude with the words that Jesus said. When he got upset, how is it that you have no faith? Well, you have little faith. And we do that. We say, yeah, I, how can the disciples have not known that if Jesus was in the boat, they were going to make it to the other side? How could the disciples have thought they were going to die with Jesus there? But you know what? We do the same thing sometimes. Oh, God. Right. Oh, God. I don't know. I, did you see this coming? Yeah, he did. He did. Don't ever worry and wonder, is God aware of what's going on? Don't ever worry and wonder whether or not God saw that coming. He did. And can I tell you, he saw it coming, and he not only has given you what you need to overcome it, to go through it, to be victorious, he's given you much more. And when, as, as Paul says, perseverance produces things in our life, James said the same thing. He said, my brothers and sisters, count it joy. Consider it joy when you face various different trials and testings because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance have its complete work that you may be complete and whole, lacking nothing. The only way we're going to do that is if we begin to believe in the much more of God. If we begin to believe that he's good all the time, that he has no other capacity except to be good, and that he's got much more for us. One more tonight, number five. Much more grace. Verse 20. The law was added so the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Or sin abounds, the grace of God does much more abound. Much more grace. I declare to you tonight, church, there is no sin that you have committed that he cannot forgive. His grace is so much more than that sin. There is no act of disobedience and damage that has resulted from that disobedience that his grace can't cover and can't restore. His grace is much more than that. There is no power of hell or darkness, no ruler of spiritual wickedness in high places that he hasn't already defeated, church. He is so much more than that. There is no plan or strategy, no plot or purpose from the devil that hates you and I that Jesus hasn't already taken care of. His grace is much more than any of that. Where sin abounds, the grace of God does much more abound. I want to wrap this up tonight with one further explanation of how this concept of much more is what God had planned. It ties into some of what the series pastor has been preaching. I hope I don't take something that you might have eventually got to. Pastor's been preaching on the series on the life of Joseph, and, and I got to tell you, it's, it's great. I will echo what he said. Get the messages. If you've missed some of them, yeah, go get the podcasts. Listen to the messages. Great words from the Lord for us. The pastor's been giving us. 
And this morning, he challenged all of us to live in Goshen, to, to live in the blessing of God, to live in, in God's provision and God's blessing, to move there. But I want to give you one more explanation of how this concept of much more is what God has planned. Because I believe we can see from Scripture that God is always trying to get us to that land of much more. He's always trying to get his people to the land of much more. Because see, there's an interesting passage in Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. It says, now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation. How long is a generation? It's 100 years. All that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. God's plan. Be fruitful. Be multiplied. Take over. I love what John Eldridge said in his book, um, Wild at Heart. He said, it, it's, it, for too long, the church, especially the men of God, have tried to figure out what to do with the world. It's about time the men of God rise up, stand up, and say, the world's got to figure out what to do with us, because we're not going anywhere. We got the answer. We hold the truth, and we need to stand for that. Verse 8, there was then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. Verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. Pastor Alex, would you come back? God's plan has always been for us to be fruitful, multiply, to dominate, to take control, to rule over this world, to advance his kingdom. But there are times as God's people, we may find ourselves in the land of not enough. That's now where the Israelites found themselves. Because of Joseph's leadership, because of Joseph's obedience, because of what all that Joseph did, staying true to God, and the elevation that God did in Joseph's life, Israel and his sons and all their sons and daughters and the children and children's children, they lived in Goshen in the land where God took care of them. But Joseph died. Things changed. Things happened. Did God change? No. Was he still good? Absolutely. But all of a sudden, Israel found themselves in the land of not enough. Because how many of you know, if you're an abundant people, but you're in slavery, if you're an abundant people, but you're being uh, ruled over cruelly and forced to do things without enough stuff to get it done, they were told to make the bricks for the building of the structures in the, in the buildings and the palaces. And they took straw away, which makes it really hard to build bricks. But they were still forced to do it. That's not enough. That's living in the land of not enough. You're not possessing what God created you to possess. You're not dwelling where God created you to dwell. All of a sudden, Israel found themselves in the land of not enough. But you know what? God never stopped trying to get them to the land of more than enough. So he raised up a deliverer named Moses. It says, for 400 years they cried out. And it says, then God heard from heaven. And he saw their plight. And he, made, he moved and raised up Moses. God will do the same thing for you and I, church. If you find yourself tonight in the land of not enough, it doesn't seem like you're living the abundant life. It doesn't seem like first thing you got to ask is, Lord, in, look inward. Lord, what have I done? 
Did I get myself in this bondage? Did I get myself in this slavery? Did I get myself under this oppression because of foolish mistakes, because of disobedience, because of lack of being willing to trust you? And then if that's not it, then say, then Lord, this is a test. Bring the deliverance. Bring the deliverance. Get me out of this test. Let me learn. Listen, we need to learn tests. We need to learn how to answer the test, solve the test, get through the test quickly. Because there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts with God. So they cried out. God heard their cry. He raised Moses. He said, guess what? I'm going to take you from the land of not enough, and I'm going to put you over here in the land of more than enough. But along the way, you're going to have to go through the land of just enough. It's called the wilderness. Moses, Pharaoh finally said, get him out of here. Go. Get him out of here. It took 10 plagues. You know, the enemy's stupid. He's already defeated. But because, because he's the father of lies, that means he lies to himself. He's already been defeated. Jesus has already won the victory. But the enemy likes to tell himself and you and I, anybody that'll listen, that he's victorious, that he's overcome, that he's the winner. Pharaoh wouldn't let him go. Plague after plague after plague. Finally, Pharaoh said, get out of here. Moses, take your people. Take God, these, these people. Get out of here. Moses said, all right, load up. And on the way out, we're going we're gonna to get provision. And the, Israel, the Egyptians gave them, here, take this, get, take it and go. Take it and leave. And you would think God's plan to take them from the land of not enough to the land of more than enough. It, man, a hop, skip, and a jump, and they are there. And you know that really was God's plan. God's plan was for them to go from Egypt to the promised land pretty quick. But along the way, something happened. They complained. They griped. They disobeyed. So much so that God said to Moses, listen, I'm going to wipe these people out, and I'm going to start over with you. Moses said, God, don't do that. How will it look to, to the other nations who know what you did, that you brought them out, that you parted the Red Sea, that you killed Pharaoh's army, that you defeated the most powerful army on, and the most powerful kingdom in the then known world? How will it look to the other nations when you bring them out, you bring your people out here and you wipe them all out? How's that going to give you a good reputation and glorify you? And God said, okay. So they, they, they went on a journey. God provided for them. The Bible says that on this journey through the wilderness, the soles of their sandals didn't wear out. Their clothing didn't wear out. They had just enough provision. God gave them just enough manna. He gave them just enough quail. He gave them just enough water. Why? Because God knew they needed to learn to depend on Him and Him alone, not on their own strength. They needed to not forget that it wasn't their strength that caused the Red Sea to part. It wasn't their strength that defeated Pharaoh, but it was God and God alone. And many times, church, I want to tell you, I've experienced it myself. Coming out of the land of not enough, man, we want to jump right into the land of more than enough. But if we do, we might not appreciate it until we go through the land of just enough, where we understand His daily bread is all we need. His provision for today is all I need. I can't worry about tomorrow. I can't worry about the evil of tomorrow. I can't worry about the questions of tomorrow. I am given today. I am given this moment. James says our life is like a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow. He says, James tells us, he says, you say you're gonna go into the city and you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that. You're gonna buy and you're gonna sell and you're gonna make money. And he says, rather you should say, if the Lord will, we will live. 
That's the first thing. We will live and we will do such and such today and today only. But we don't like the land of just enough. So much so that just like Egypt, we start looking back thinking, man, the, the land of not enough looked better. Because the not enough was of man's making. God says, no, you got to go through the land of just enough. And if you and I can learn obedience in the land of just enough, because see, that's the key. Here's the key, and here's how I'm going to sum it up, because they get to the land of more than enough. They do. But if you want the much more in your life, if I want the much more in my life, if I want to experience the much more that Paul's talking about here, if I want to experience the exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or think, I have not hear, seen, ears not heard, nor has it entered into my heart what God has prepared for me. If I want to experience that, there's one key. Not only do I need to be saved, but then I need to be obedient. Because disobedience will keep me in the land of just enough. Just saved enough to get to heaven just saved enough to be miserable, just saved enough to keep looking back at the land of not enough. And there's a longing, man, at least there we had, at least there we had water. At least there we had, we'd rather go back and eat garlic and leeks and onions. At least we had that back there. So we're saved just enough to be miserable. Listen, God has so much more for you and I, church. He has so much more for you and I than just being saved enough to be miserable. Always looking, longing. Wait, what? I'm missing that over there because I can't go do that anymore. Listen, it's not a matter of you can't go do it anymore. Why would you want to go do it anymore? Why would you want to go back to what Jesus died on the cross to save you from? Why would you want to go back to taking a chance of being an enemy with God when you've been reconciled, when you've been set free? So they get, they go through the land of just enough, and they entire that entire generation. Forty years they walked around the mountain. It was a short trip, but that took them forty years. That generation died off because of disobedience. No, we can't go take the land. Joshua and Caleb said, "Yes, we can." The other ten said, "No, we can't." And because of the voice of the other ten, God says, "You're gonna you, those. They will not see it." Can you imagine? That new generation and Joshua and Caleb waiting for the last one of that generation to die. We can't go over until he's dead. Maybe today's the day. I don't know if that really happened or not. But it took Exodus, <laughs> Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It took all of that. They didn't get in until the book of Joshua because of disobedience, because of lack of faith. Can I tell you, church, don't stay in the land of not enough. And don't get stuck in the land of just enough because you're not willing to obey, because you're not willing to sell out. He, he gave it all for you and I. Let's give it all for him. And when we do, he'll take us into the land of more than enough. Land that which you'll dwell in houses that you didn't build. You'll reap from and, and reap crops from vineyards and places, gardens that you didn't plant. It'll be a land flowing with milk and honey, which is a symbol of provision from God. If you want that tonight, stand up on your feet all across this place. Begin to worship.
impacted by the ministry of Jonathan Shuttlesworth, who was last here.